0: Doctor. I'm a time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey, in the constellation of Castelberit. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor,
1: but I am.
2: I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. There's probably not the one you expect.
1: Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Yeah.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Doctor Who to Watch on podcast. We're here with the start of series four, and it's a very different start to the series. Um, Harry, you're here still, so it's not that
1: different. Yeah, yeah, and you are also here, though sounding uh, distinctly more muffled than usual.
2: Oh well, I, I apologise if it is. Uh, is it is it badly muffled? Can people make out what I'm saying? Oh no,
0: well, I can hear what you're saying, but there's a There's a notable dip in quality to what we're used to, I must say.
2: Well, the reason for this is because I'm currently sat in a car uh, recording from the front seat of my CIB. I'm not driving, I'm sat in a car park. It is, what time is it? It's about 20 past nine. And uh, the reason for this is because I've recently uh, moved out of my flat where I have been recording podcasts for the last nearly 12 months with Harry. Um, And I'm currently in a limbo period between places and place. I'm currently um, staying at, and the Wi Fi isn't great. So I've uh, relocated. Um, So, though, okay, so we'll get into a little bit about um, everything that's coming up in series four shortly. But for new listeners, because I know sometimes we gather a few at the the start of the series, welcome. um, Heads up, this series is going to be slightly shorter. So maybe if you haven't heard what we've said before, I'd say a good jumping on place would be the start of Series 2. Would you agree, Harry?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty solid place to start. We actually know what we're doing by that point.
2: (laughs) That's true, yeah. And the format's basically the same as it is now. So the reason Series uh, series 4 is going to be slightly shorter is there's still going to be the same number of episodes, but there will be a month break after Episode 6. There will still be some content uploaded to the YouTube channel and the podcast feed, but there will be a break of a month. Uh, because that's going to sort of level it out with Harry at university and me moving around and stuff like that. It just makes it a lot easier um, for us to do that. So you're still going to get your news and stuff for the next six weeks, but until after The Doctor's Daughter, uh, we'll we'll remind you again when we get to that. There's going to be a, a, a break of a month, I think we said. But you'll still get content, so you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, Doctor Who News, are you ready, Harry? It's been quite a busy week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there really wasn't much news for most of this week, but then suddenly, like yesterday and today, there's just been a ton of Doctor Who-related news.
2: Yes. And despite the fact that I'm in a car, I still brought with me my little podcast notebook um, in the glove box so people at the gym didn't mock me because they looked in the car and saw, <laughs> saw me writing down little Jodie Whisker notes. Uh, let's start with Jodie Whisker. Um, there's been an extract posted on the Doctor Who website of an upcoming interview with Whitaker and Mandip Gill, um, in which they've answered fan questions from Doctor Who, si- the upcoming series, Series 13. Um, Harry, I sent you over a link, because unfortunately I-, I can't access links whilst I'm recording via my phone. So um, I know, Jodie, had something to say about keeping spoilers and the fun of keeping spoilers and what it's like when some things get leaked and, you know, the hard work various team members put in. Um, Have you got
0: that up? Yeah, let me just get that up in a second. You might want to cut around this when we do the uh, publication of this. Maybe you won't. Maybe (laughs) just leave me in rambling. Um, Okay. uh,
2: Sorry, are you ready?
0: Yes. Cool. Um, She said that um, when it came to keeping uh, spoilers... The hardest secret to keep was my own, Jodie said, explaining that there was a really long gap between her audition for the part, being offered the role, and it formally being announced. Uh, I didn't want to leak. I didn't have any desire for it to come out before the reveal because I knew my life was going to change, and I was in no rush for that to happen until I was prepared for it, she stated. But Professionally, I was the only person in my team that knew I'd been cast.
2: So what does that mean when she says Professionally. Who 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 else knew?
0: I guess when it comes to saying professionally, she's talking to kind of people she works with, such as kind of like her agents and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I quite sorry. Go on.
0: I mean, I feel like that's something we'll be discussing a little bit later because um, that will be yeah, yeah. to a different point <laughs> in the news.
2: Yeah, uh, the thing I like about that is that the biggest secret or the biggest excitement point she's had of being Doctor Who is the announcement. It's not the return of the master or anything like that. It's the most exciting point, and the hardest secret to keep of them all was the actual start of it. And I quite like that, the fact that it's also maybe quite sad as well, depending on where you look at it, that the most exciting point of being Doctor Who is the announcement. Mm. Um, not actually keeping story point points um, tightly sealed.
0: Yeah, that is true. And it's also um, it's... Uh... It is interesting to kind of reflect on the fact that there have been leaks and spoilers um, during New Who. But I can't think, has there been a single Doctor whose casting has been properly leaked before its announcement?
2: Yet? Um, I don't think so. I, I remember reading about Capaldi like a day before and they're being like, we're 99% sure it's Capaldi, but it also could be this person and this person and whoever. So, okay. and... But with Whitaker, I only recall seeing one news article with her name mentioned, and it was like a list of people it could be. And I remember saying it out loud to my, like the person I was with at the time, and going, oh, Jodie Whittaker. And I went, oh, who's that? And I went, oh, well, she's Beth in Broadchurch. And they went, oh, well, they've just put air on there because she was in Broadchurch, and Chris Chikno wrote Broadchurch. And I, we were like, yeah, probably. And then, like, the next day, during Wimbledon, um, they were like, ta-da! <laughs> okay. That?
1: That's interesting. Again, something that we might bring bringing up later.
2: Oh, yeah, dude. really Yep, very true, very true. Um, I mentioned there about there doesn't seem to be many story leaks for Doctor Who, um, big story leaks anyway, but I think it's worth saying that a lot of set photos from Series 13 are appearing online. Last week, I mentioned about the inclusion of pirates uh, being cast for various Cardiff production. and it does seem that Series 13 um, photos have leaked online, and it was for Doctor Who, and a couple of photos of them filming in Cardiff um, around the shore with um, Chinese pirates and stuff like that. So it's interesting that there, there doesn't seem to be so much secrecy with keeping stuff hidden from the press, or are the pressures getting more sneaky with
1: set photos? Or is it a thing that... I mean, I don't know. Doctor Who has always done location shooting, hasn't it? Like is, It has.
0: Yeah. Obviously, but all the d- leaks we get are from on-location shoots and stuff around Sheffield or in the countryside uh, with Series 12, the Cybermen. I guess it's just a yeah. lot harder to keep things under wraps when you're out in the open shooting stuff like yeah. that.
2: You would have thought they would do stuff like maybe park lorries up to try, and skip, to try and stop people's viewpoints. But like, I remember when the Weeping Angel photos came out, they were just like really clear photos of Jodie Whittaker and various cast members with Weeping Angels and the same with the Sontarans as well. It was almost like, oh, I, I, I think with a lot of media now, there is a, to and fro with it, where it's like, oh, well, if the photos get leaked, that's kind of not the greatest for the surprise, but it gets people excited about it because they know such and such is coming back or this is happening. Uh-huh. And I feel that's what they tried to do with when John Sim returned as the Masters. They put it in a trailer,
1: mm. they
2: put John Sim in the trailer, and everybody went, Well, you just ruined really that surprise. But then people went, Oh, he's coming back, I'll watch it. Or, then know, I whatever. can't
1: but wonder, like, how does stuff like Star Wars, like, they do on location shooting, and yet you don't get huge plot spoilers from those. How do they manage to hide this stuff from the press more easily than something like Doctor Who? Is it just a budget thing?
2: or I think it's budget that therefore translates into security. I imagine trying to... I mean, like, that said, two months ago, I walked onto the set of Mission Impossible 8 or 9, or whatever the next one is. I just walked onto it, and I saw them filming. I saw Tom Cruise and you know it was so easy to see what was going on Hmm. and it seems to be the same with the new indiana jones film but i I guess maybe with star wars because they're filming when they did film star wars they're usually out in deserts they're not in villages and stuff like that and streets i don't know yeah i guess it's hard to guess
0: maybe the thing that so much of like leaks to doctor who is down to like returning monsters and characters and Doctor Who yeah. has so much iconography and so many kind of iconic monsters and stuff that it's hard to hide those things, especially when they're practical props. I like compare that to something yeah. like Star Wars, where a lot of stuff is kind of post-production VFX. Like That's something that's much easier to hide.
2: Yeah, especially if you look at something like The Mandalorian as well. There's like hardly any location film and it's all done with those massive uh, 360 LED screen things now. So... Mm. Stuff mm. like that is really starting to... It's good, isn't it? But I feel like there's a, there's probably going to become a time where it will go the way of the prequel series in which it's too much computer stuff and then they have to find a, a new hybrid, which I think we're quite happy with at the moment, but I feel like it's starting to shift again to more computer-generated stuff. But I'm sure it'll level itself out.
0: Mm. Potentially. Um,
2: yeah, obviously we are going to get to the big news of the week, but before that, Um, Something I saw uh, pop up online is that Stephen Moffat is, uh, uh, like I say, apologies, I'm filming in the car, so if you do hear um, kids revering motorbike engines, I apologise. But Stephen Moffat is back working with David Tennant and Peter Peter Capaldi uh, on two separate projects. But it's kind of exciting to know that that those uh, dynamics, those friendships are still, you know, they're still going and we're still going to be getting new projects. Um, Harry, do you have anything about that?
1: About Yeah, I have the uh, news article that you told me about them. They're both coming from Moffat's uh, production company called uh, Heartswood.
0: And they're both completely different shows, both completely unrelated to Doctor Who, other than the fact that they do involve uh, previous uh, New Who doctors that Stephen has written for. Do we Uh, have
1: titles for those projects or a little bit about them?
0: Yeah, the Capaldi show
1: is a six-parter called The Devil's Hour. About uh, Lucy, who is woken every night by terrifying visions at exactly 3.33am. And Well,
2: um, 3.33, that's half of the devil's number, isn't it? mm, So I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say, how old is Lucy?
0: Uh, It doesn't say. She's played by... Let me find the actor who's playing her. Um, Jessica Rain from Call the Midwife.
2: Oh, so she's an adult, she's an adult, she's not a child star. Yeah. Okay, well, my stab in the dark is that um, there is another person, maybe a man, who is also woken at three thirty-three, whatever, and they have a child, and that child turns out
1: to be dead. Oh, devil. Well, oh,
0: we know that Peter's character is going to be a reclusive nomad who becomes linked to a string which is drawn into this story when uh, Lucy's character becomes linked to a string of brutal local murders.
2: Oh, sounds interesting. I like Moffat's darker stuff, apart from Dracula, Well, apart from the last episode. The first episode of Dracula was great.
0: This is the the same production company that did Sherlock and Dracula.
2: Okay, so we've got a 50-50 streak so far. Mm
0: -hmm. And the other series uh, with David Tennant is called The Inside Man, where David will be starring opposite uh, Stanley Tucci.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Who most people, like me, know as the voice of K2SO from uh, Rogue One.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, so it is. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a four-part thriller based on three people in different parts of the world whose lives are bizarrely intertwined. That is all we know about it.
2: I think David Tennant would be good in some, like, you know, like there's Agatha Christie sort of things where everybody is gathered in a house and one of them is the murderer and they don't know which one it is. I'd like to see a series like that done by Stephen Moffat with David Tennant in and you could have a, a range of British stars in there like Capaldi and Tennant and, you know, certain people like that, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know.
1: Yeah, well, from I the, think that yeah. from Doctor Who to that just yeah. makes sense naturally because obviously Doctor Who, so much of that, Pretty much every episode, you have the Doctor solving some sort of mystery, and yeah. really, leaning... I like stuff, yeah. mm, really leaning into the kind of who done aspects of that. It only makes sense; it would be a very natural fit.
2: Yeah, and it's original ideas as well, which is good. I like it when. then... Both of these sound like they're going to be one and done. Especially the Capaldi one sounds like it could possibly do like a one series and done sort of thing, which I quite like because it means you get a. Uh, a finer storytelling rather than something that is left open-ended. I like it when it's just wrapped up. Unless I really enjoy it, then I'm like, oh, I'd like to see more of that. But a lot of the time now with telly, I'm like, you've deliberately left that
1: open, but open-ended but so you can get another series. And yeah, I know, there, I know there are a lot of people who do feel that Moffat is at his strongest when he is writing something more self-contained. There, are a, lot, there yeah. are a lot of people who really enjoy uh, Muffat's self-contained stories, but are less fond of his big multi-series arcs. So perhaps mm. for those people, this will really play to what they feel is Muffat's strengths.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so let's go on to the big news of the week. Um, Oli, OK, how, how do you say his last name? Alexandra?
1: Alexander.
2: Alexander. Oli Alexander. Yeah. Um, as we've talked about probably three times a month for the last six months, um, it's constantly being thrown around to be the new Doctor Who. But this week, for some reason, um, um, I was awoken to a text message from yourself that just said, Ollie Alexander, is trending. I was like, oh, what's he done? I went on, and no, it was all Doctor Who stuff, and people speculating that he could be the next Doctor. Um, you seem to know a little bit more about this than I do, Harry. Um, so... What What's your understanding of how this came about? Because my understanding is that it basically started as a as a joke
1: from Russell. Um, not necessarily a joke, but I believe that Russell has, for a while, been a very vocal advocate that he thinks that Ollie would be a brilliant doctor. Something which I mm-hmm. personally wholeheartedly agree with. And um, I believe yesterday it was leaked to um, a newspaper that from a BBC insider, that apparently Ollie has been in talks to play the Fourteenth
0: Doctor, and that he basically has been confirmed to play the role, and that he's just in the last stages of negotiations. However, yeah. um, sorry, go on. Yep. there is one thing which is um, opposing this, which is that Ollie's—I don't know if it's Ollie's rep or his agent—posted on Instagram a very punny post basically saying that Ollie is currently focusing on his music career and that as a result of that he's not going to play the Time Lord. However yeah. if we go back to what <laughs> you were saying earlier about Jodie saying that she couldn't reveal to her team that she was playing a doctor until it was revealed is it a similar situation with Ollie? Has he accepted the role Perhaps. and he just can't tell his team Ollie's that he's team. got the part? We don't Perhaps. know. Perhaps.
2: So let's go right back to start with Russell, right? And I know people are going, well, Russell doesn't run the show; he's not showrunner; sure, not involved with the show anymore. That's true, but there is a, a, a clearly a close friendship between Chibnall and Russell. They're often interviewed together, and same with Moffat and Russell and stuff like that. So I do believe that the free that Russell still does have some foot in the door with Doctor Who, and I, I do sometimes believe that he he's kind of asked questions by showrunners and producers and what, about his opinions on stuff. I know when they brought the Jadun back, they asked Russell, they said, are we all right to bring the Jadun back? Because normally you would have to get some rights sorted out and Russell would get a paycheck from that. And apparently Russell didn't. He said, no, no, it's fine. Go ahead, use it. Um, So there's clearly some, he's not involved in Doctor Who at all, but I feel like when needed, um, someone will ask him a quick question or his suggestion on something. In, In the same way that when it came to Capaldi's casting, um, I remember Moffat saying that him and Mark Gatiss sat down to discuss it, and Mark Gatiss isn't even a showrunner; he has no involvement in the production of Doctor Who. He wasn't a producer; he was just a friend of Stephen. Um, and they both came up with the suggestion of Paul, uh, Peter Capaldi. So the, the Russell's involvement in that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything similar like that, but no, there isn't really. Because yeah, anyway, so yeah, then there's that. I think that's great. Um, the stuff with Ollie's rep I think is interesting I hadn't thought about it the way you had which is that maybe they generally don't know (laughs) Um, but if you looked on their Instagram account they kept posting stuff throughout the day and it got to a point where I was like are you trying too hard now to cover something up
1: Mm. it
2: was like they were going no it's not the Doctor but look at this funny graphic the Sun's done and here's who I think should play the Doctor in Oh, he's a fan art of what he would look like if he was the Doctor. How silly it looks! And I'm like, oh, are you trying to tear us away from it so that we are? Oh no, you are right. But then it got to a point where it was too much. I'm like, are you actually trying to cover something up? And I think when Ollie was on, <laughs> we've spoken about this in the past. When Ollie was on the one show, and they asked him if he would be Doctor Who, and he gave an answer that either was yes or no. And sometimes you get stuff from certain people where they, where they, it's very clear that they have. They want it and they haven't been approached, and they go, I want it. Nobody's asked me about it, which usually means that they're out of the running. But uh, Ollie is constantly being like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, that, so that could just be his character that he plays, uh, like his persona. But um, I don't know. I'm inclined to say that Ollie. What's that noise? Anyway, sorry, I'm inclined to say Ollie won't be the next doctor. Um, but I feel like his name was on the cards.
0: My take, and I know this is a very biased take, because I'm going to say outright, currently, Ollie is my number one choice for the 14th Doctor. Same, above Joe yeah. Martin, above Richard Iwadi, above Chris Marshall, or whatever. Ollie, right now, in the forefront of my mind, that is who I want to be the next Doctor. And maybe yeah. that's swaying my viewpoint... But I can't help but imagine, especially with this rep stuff, I can't help but imagine scenarios in which the rep publicly is saying, what? No, no, Ollie isn't. Ollie, he's focusing on his music career. And as soon as they post that, they go to Ollie, like, okay, Ollie, what, what, what's going on? Please, please tell me. Are you a doctor? What's going on? What's going on? Please, yeah. Ollie, tell me. Yeah. That's what I'm imagining in my head. I would be, yeah. I, to me, like, and I'm not a guy to buy into the rumor mill. But this feels right. I don't know why, but this feels yeah. there's something. No, about- I agree
2: with you. <laughs> there is one thing that makes me think this isn't going to happen, and I'm going to be careful how I word this because I was looking on Ollie's Instagram account, right? And Ollie is a very flamboyant, out there, fabulous person who. He is such a good image for an LGBT plus community and all that stuff. And I was looking for his Instagram and there's some amazing, the reason I was looking for his Instagram spoilers is to get thumbnail photos. (laughs) Um, So I'm looking, but then I'm finding images. Right. And I'm like, Oh, maybe this isn't the brand that they want. And it's like the, one of the most recent ones. Um, maybe if you're a kid, maybe like skip this bit. Um, He's got like the front of his trousers down and he's showing his pew. I, I think I could be writing this. He's showing his pew's and it's got like shaped in like the, the the letter G. And I'm like, that's fine, but like, I don't have a problem with that. But is that the branding that the the BBC want associated with the show? Do you know what do you see what I'm getting at? What I'm I, trying to do. You know I what hear
0: I mean? you by counter this with David Tennant has been naked on stage and he was naked on stage <laughs> before he played the doctor. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. David Tennant yeah, has no, it, performed on stage. Yeah. There are production photos of a naked David Tennant, I believe, where you can see everything. I don't think being... showing some skin is an obstacle to playing true, the yeah. Doctor.
2: No, it, it, it was just one of those things where I saw it and I thought, if Ollie is announced, I can see this being on the front page of some red top newspaper
1: or something like that i'm so also that pretty sure thing. that like apart jody, from that i'm totally
2: yeah. with you i 100 he's, he's my yeah. front runner for the role
0: i'm also pretty sure that both chris and jody have done sex scenes i'm pretty certain yeah yeah, yeah. and wasn't yeah. matt smith in diary of a Call cool girl as well <laughs> he was yeah that's true yeah the, that's no obstacle that in the eyes yeah. of the bbc that does not prevent you from being a time ward
2: that's great Um, is there any other news on that I think that's about it really isn't it it's sort of the presser saying he's the doctor and his agent or his rep or whoever is going nope 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 don't look over here go look somewhere else and I know uh, they also mentioned his It's a Scene co-star whose name has completely slipped my mind who played Liz Uh,
1: was the character named Liz? I think the name no her character was called Jill Jill, that's it. Um, uh, the, the actor's name completely sits project. her. I do
2: apologise.
0: Um, I'll find her right now. Yeah,
2: do. Yeah, I think she would be a, a great doctor. And I know that she's currently doing work with Big Finish. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what capacity they're going to use um, the named actor Harry's about to find for me. I think it's something white or something like that. I can't actually remember. I'm just looking um, at the yeah.
0: cast of It's a Sin. Um, yeah, she would be... It's Lydia West, choice. you're
2: thinking Lydia about. West, that's it, yeah. Um, she would be an amazing choice I feel
0: to be uh, Doctor Who yeah yeah it's interesting Lydia is um, I think the only things I've seen her in are it's a sin in years and years Russell's last two shows yeah. her I mean Ollie's less of an up and comer because he was kind of known for years and years the uh, band not the show <laughs>
1: <laughs> and not
0: not the period of
1: time yes not the period of time yeah he was known for years and years <laughs>
0: It's very confusing. It's very confusing to talk about Oli Alexander and Russell T. Davis because (laughs) Oli Alexander, his music project is years and years, not to be mistaken with the Russell T. Davis series, years and years, which does not include Oli Alexander. But Oli Alexander is in the TV show, It's a Sin, not to be mistaken by the song It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys. Although Oli Alexander has... Done a cover of It's a Sin as years and years. Yep. And then (laughs) it's.
2: It's it's all those things, yeah. What do you think to say if Ollie is cast as the Doctor, right? What do you think to the progression of actors who have played the role? It has been a white dude for 50 plus years, like 56 years or whatever it was, right? And then they went to a white female, and that was great. It's the first female to play the role and amazing, right? What do you then think to them going back to a white male? Do you feel that they should... I I personally feel if it was me, I would cast another female because I would feel you are therefore open to criticism of, oh, well, it didn't work, did it? If you cast a woman, now you've gone back to a bloke. It didn't work.
0: It's a question of whether or not you should listen to that discourse and kind of think in the frame of, well, okay, we need to cast another woman immediately to prove that this isn't just a one-off quote-unquote experiment, which is not going to be. If the next casting yeah. is Ollie, I'm sure there will be another woman down the line because that's now been set as a president. But also yeah. is the fact that I feel like casting Jodie just kind of opens up the gates to just even more people can play this role now. And now it's just a matter of just picking not the best man for a job, not the best woman for the job, but the best actor for the job. And also yeah. Ollie breaks boundaries in his own way in the fact that he would be the first LGBT plus actor to play the role. Yeah. And of that that in a way makes its own breaks its own boundaries. And also kind of in a way but somewhat more meaningful to the Doctor Who community because it's been well known that Doctor Who has had a huge LGBT plus following for ages, yeah. you know you only have to look to people such as Russell himself to see, and it, it dates back yeah. as far as the 80s and even before and yeah, to kind of, you, this would be on
1: our able, Twitter feed, sorry, go on
0: just saying, so, casting as Ollie although his sexuality may or may not play into the characterization of the Doctor it doesn't need to by any means but it would kind of be an acknowledgement of that Following and an embracing yeah. that the show perhaps hasn't done to the f- fullest capacity yet.
2: Exactly, exactly. I agree with you, Mark. Um, I'm slightly conscious of time, Harry, and I know we've got to get into our first episode of series four um, watch along. So I will hand it over to yours truly to um, segue us into um, another Christmas special.
1: Yes. So, um,
0: so you're in a car.
1: Tim, aren't you? I am in a car. Yes.
2: Are,
0: are, you, are you traveling anywhere? Are you going on a journey uh, anywhere?
2: I have just traveled from home to the gym and now traveling back home.
0: Oh, okay. Although, like you said, your Wi Fi isn't very good at home, is it? You can always <laughs> say that kind of isn't. like your Wi Fi connection is uh, maybe it's a bit intense and biblical, perhaps your Wi Fi connection at home is almost damned. So perhaps. Yep. Some journey home from the gym to your home is a voyage of the damned that wasn't too bad (laughs) it's better than what i've been doing recently i feel like that's a lot better than what i've been doing recently
2: i think i played into that one as well that's why sometimes i just look at you with a blank stare like go on get yourself out of this hole but no, that one was okay. So, yeah, enjoy us talking about Voyages of Damned. And we will be back next week and throughout the week with we a couple of videos. In fact, this time next week with we a brand new officer to be going inside, where we'll be talking, where we properly start Doctor Who Series 4. So, come join us then. And if you are new, check us out on our socials. Everything's linked in the description and enjoyed the rest of the podcast. There you go, Harry. Let's stop the recording now.
1: Oh, I stopped recording. Are you going oh, yeah. to include this bit where I fiddle around? You're <laughs> going to stop the recording. Probably. It's not that hard. I can just—I can see it right here. Shut up! Shut up! Shut it! Did you pop up, up? Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Big on the Inside, the new Doctor who Watch on podcast. i am I've been with me is always is a man who I once witnessed push an old man into a pond, point at him, and go, "Never eat my crisps again." Um, Harry Murdoch, hello. How are you? He had it coming. He did. He had it coming. What had he done? What What had led up to this?
0: Like you said, I left my Pringle tube on the bench uh, to go. Um, to the toilet in a bush came back old man getting his little getting his uh grubby mitts in my pringle tunes but actually they're actually quite uh well-maintained hands actually uh i don't know if you like moisturized or something but they're actually very good condition hands considering his age but beside that's besides the point the fact is he was he was poking around in my pringle tube it my was, pringle tube was for me and me only mm. yeah exactly and i don't you know a feast
2: of a thief. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Doctor Who podcast. Be on
1: the inside. We're doing a, a
0: very special Christmassy episode, which is called What, Harry? Voyage of the Damned by Russell T. Davis.
2: Yeah, um, our third Christmas helping of Doctor Who. And so far, my spoilers, my favourite, and it seems to be the nation's favourite as well, as this is the highest ever recorded episode in viewing figures anyway, for uh, New Who. 13.31 million people tuned in to watch The Doctor and Kylie Miller dance around a, a spaceship that looks like a boat. Um, Harry, what did you think of uh, the episode, Voice of the Damned?
0: I liked the episode, but the first thing that I kind of was left thinking after it was like, wow, like everyone dies.
2: Yeah. Apart from um, So
0: many people die.
2: The guy from One Foot in the Grove. Clive Swift.
0: Yeah.
2: Spoilers. So, but, many people um... die. <laughs> um, so let's start the start the episode. Um, I found it I always find it very strange these Christmas episodes seeing the doctor hanging around on his own. Especially the tenth doctor. There's something very lonely about him when he's on his own. It doesn't sit quite right. And I always find it strange when he gets out the tireless and he's just like on his own and nobody else follows him out. And I'm like, what's he doing? Why is he on his own?
0: Yeah, it's like kind of. I guess he's just kind of exploring for the joy of exploration at that point. Yeah, I guess, but it's like, yeah, it's right because so much of kind of the tenth Doctor's kind of character and his arcs are kind of like defined by kind of that desire for companionship. Yeah, I mean that that yeah. does make that that really defines his whole arc, and and then later on when we get to the time of Victoria stuff, how kind of he needs that companion so much to kind of ground him and put him in his place and stuff like that. Yeah. So it is, it is interesting to see him just kind of isolated like this and there is a strange sense, especially I think after a whole series with Rose and then a whole Christmas special with him, with Donna trying to get over Rose and then a whole series with Martha still trying to get over Rose and trying to figure out his feelings for Martha and, yeah, I mean, this is this is the first solo Tenth Doctor story, isn't
2: it? Uh, yeah, it's the first solo one where we don't have a companion or somebody who would later return as a companion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I skipped over this. though. Is that. Is this a new theme tune? It's the first, It's a new rendition of the Doctor Who theme tune.
0: Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so I really it a like it. It's a bit more you. of a rock. <laughs> Yes, it has a rockier vibe, which is interesting. Very interesting. It's kind of. Do you think that's kind of indicative of the era? Why it was kind of. Rocky poppy music, kind of a thing. I feel like I remember it being a thing back in two thousand and seven.
1: Perhaps
2: I don't. I don't ever remember. If you asked me to tell you how many times the theme tune to Doctor changed between Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant, I might have said three times. But so far, it's changing like every series. <laughs>
0: Did it change in series
2: two? Oh, no, series two is the same. Series three it changed, and series four it's changed. It changed again in series yeah. five.
0: Yeah. Series, series three added the middle and... eighth, and yeah. yeah, this is. I guess that's kind of I always that's why I always consider kind of these Christmas specials to be the start of the next season rather than the end of the one we've just had. Because yeah. here you can see like the changes starting to emerge. Yeah. So welcome to series four, over. everybody.
2: Thank you for being here thank you for being here as well, Harry. It's appreciated.
0: You're, you are content.
2: Um An all-star stellar cast of people who we know and some people we will grow to know. Uh, Russell Tovey, a very young Russell Tovey, uh, who does later appear in Doctor who in future episode, and Years and Years, and The Job Lot on ITV, and just a, a great actor, great character actor in probably what is one of his first breakout roles, I would have thought.
0: As Alonso.
2: Yes. What did you think to Russell Tovey's character?
0: I never quite caught the character's oh. name, but um
2: I really enjoyed him.
0: Yeah, I I really enjoy him. I think I mean he has kind of a lot. I mean, you know what I mean? he kind of has a whole kind of B plot going on throughout this story, and for the most part, it's just him having to hold that. So that's probably. Yeah. You know, for a Doctor Who Christmas special, that's a lot of weight on him, and I think he handles it very well. Like, he's empathetic, he's kind of grounded, he's very kind of pure of heart, good intentioned. You know, he's great. You're with him the whole way.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking here. Um, I'm not sure. Um, Russell Turvey confirms, Doctor Who audition, it would have terrified me. Um it would have terrified me. Career. I don't know what I would have done with my audition. The 21 year old did screen tests for the part of the 11th Doctor, according to the Independent, but ultimately lost out on the role to Matt Smith. So he almost returned to Doctor as the 11th Doctor. That would have been a very different casting.
0: Interesting, interesting. It would have worked, undoubtedly. Um, it's interesting to picture him in the role. I've never considered Russell Tovey before.
2: There's probably some fan-out out there that you can all enjoy. Um, one of our reoccurring segments on this show is David Tennant's clothing. Um, Tux10 10 is back. Um, last seen in the Lazarus experiment. And had he won... Oh, before that, in the Cybermen double bill episode from series two. And I like the fact that... Of course, I forgot...
0: I forgot Tuxedo10 appeared
2: there. Yeah. I like the fact that he mentions whenever I wear this suit, <laughs> he says... This is a really good suit, or I think I can't remember what he says, but he says either that or this suit's very unlucky. He say that every time he wears his tux, <laughs> something goes horribly wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all the public um, events.
2: Yeah, one thing that really stood out to me, like straight away in this episode, is the production value. The attention to detail on these big episodes of Dot 2 is mind blowing. like... The interior of these ships and people's costumes and the props and the way it's all filmed was just amazing and I especially throughout tenants era you can really see how um as the shows become more successful they've really been able to push the boat with bigger budgets and things like that
0: yeah I think it's a really clear especially what I noticed was the kind of increase in production values on the cgi um I was kind of there. were a couple of bits when you saw the exterior shots of the Titanic ship, and also the bit where they were crossing that chasm. I couldn't help but compare it to um, the end of the world from series one. Yeah, and the quality jump is staggering. Yeah, absolutely staggering.
2: To say it. it's only what four years, three three or four years difference between those episodes. Yeah, I remember when we watched that first series, we were like. Oh, some of this CGI is a bit terrible, and even a little bit in series two with the werewolf. But it's uh, mm. amazing now, isn't it? Yeah, like I don't watch it and it doesn't stand out to me anymore, yeah. which is always like, obviously a good sign. Yeah.
0: Like, I remember the bit where they were having to cross that chasm and like, they were hanging on. There was a wee bit of like vertigo, even though it was obvious, you know, you can tell it's CGI. Like I don't know if it's just the way it's shot or just the fact that it's higher quality, but it's effective in the moment.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um some more characters that we have in this episode that we're introduced to already by this point is Max Capricorn, who we'll get back to later. Um, but I think we should talk about Carly Minogue's Astrid Peff, um, formerly from Neighbours. Hooray. Um, I think people forget that she was in she was in Neighbours, wasn't she? It was Neighbours.
0: Yeah, she was. She was an actress before she was a pop star,
2: yeah. Yeah, I think people forget that. It's like she's the reverse Billy Piper. Hmm. And she's fantastic in this, these two episodes. Uh, this episode, sorry. She's really great. Yeah,
0: she's she's really, really fun. Like, she, she just gets the role and is full of, like, fun and life and enthusiasm. She's fantastic, yeah. Yeah. She's really, ha- really great.
2: Yeah. They, Her and David Tennant have a really good on-screen uh, sort of chemistry. The way they bounce off each other is really well. And I kind of, and there's that scene where she says, Can I come on board? Can I travel with you? And he says, Yeah. And I think how cool it would have been to maybe have a series of that, those two just going on little adventures. Because I feel like if that had happened, then that would have strayed away from the Rose support of 10 trying to get over Rose. I feel like this could have been the point of going somewhere different. Um, so that might have been interesting, and I feel like you could have really believed that those two were a couple um, more than certain other companions or whatever.
0: Would have been done on an expensive mind. You know, <laughs> it
2: would have been, yeah. How would you have felt about that, about her joining the actual TARDIS?
0: It would have been fun. Um, there was, would have been a potential danger of her uh, just becoming a, a Rose Replacement. Uh, if they had done a whole series with Kylie, they'd have had to um, find ways to make her character distinctly different yeah. from Rose. Which I think they, they start to do here; like she's definitely not the same character as Rose by any means. Um, but they'd have had to go on the extra mile if she were to have been around for a full series. So I, feel like...
2: I would have maybe liked them to fully embrace the relationship aspect of it. I know they tried to; do it with, I know they couldn't really do it with Rose because of that whole i'll outlive you sort of thing but maybe the doctor just said oh well i've already lost one person who i really like so i'm just going to embrace this one and maybe just like fully yeah. embraced it had a wedding that would have been great
0: Live for the moment yeah
2: Today. um who else do we have appearing in this episode rick is it what's his name rickson uh, rick stern rickston the um wealthy uh sort of business tycoon who's only really sort of looking after himself and one thing that i've i noticed re-watching this is that how much of the themes of the actual titanic and the movies of the titanic play into this with different class issues with um is it Mm. marvin and foon played by uh i do not know the actors and actresses but all i know is he's duke from the story of tracy beaker um with them playing people who have won the competition to yeah. be in first class and the people of first class are looking down on them. And I feel that's really sort of well done. That sort of like I think we spoke about it in the past. Our people say, Oh, Doctor Who was never political. It's only recently, ever since it's become it was so woke and all this, but it is, but it's you just it's so obvious, but you didn't notice it because you were a seven yeah. or
0: whatever. Everything everything, everything, every piece of art is political in some sense. You just need yeah. to be
2: looking for it. Um, who else do we have here? We have Clive Swift as uh Richard from Keeping Up Appearances who plays is it Mr. Copperfield? I want to say his his character name is.
0: Something like that, the tour guide.
2: Yeah, he's really okay. great in this. He's a really fun character, and his understanding of Earth is good fun, and the way he <laughs> I really like the speech he gives before they're transported down to Earth. And he says, No, uh, the people of Great Britain go to war with the people of Turkey, and then they eat the eat the people of Turkey. But we must all leave soon because soon they're all going to come up fighting for Boxing Day. <laughs> I think mean, it's really going It sort of plays into that sort of oh, in a thousand years, what will people think of like traditions we have now if these traditions still carry on?
0: I'd like to think that thanks to the internet, kind of our way of living today is going to be very effectively archived in a way that kind of no other period in history ever has been.
2: That's true, that's true. Um, Balakafalata, played by the amazing Jimmy V, also uh, the of Balhoon in Series 1, a couple of Grasks in the Sarah Jane adventures, and R2-D2 in the Star Wars sequels. Um, a really good, fun character who I feel like probably just wrote in there, but his design really... A lot of his character designs, actually make him a very lasting print on Doctor Who. You'll get the Mox of Balhoon, Series 1, Episode 2, and people still talk about it and still remember him now.
0: Yeah, the, the costume is a great costume and he's having... He's really having fun in the role and he's pushing it. Like, I mean, it got to credit Russell to kind of having the um, alien creature not just be kind of an interesting-looking alien creature and also giving him a character to work with and giving him that whole art that then gets fulfilled within the story
2: Mm. this episode is, sorry uh, before we move on, there's a scene with Balakafala that really stood out and it's a scene where he fought, where he's struggling and Kylie Minogue goes over to help him out and he reveals him to be a cyborg and Kylie Minogue says, uh, cyborgs again, equal rights, they can even get married now, which is obviously at the time of when this episode went out is a reflection of an actual life of when gay rights were starting to become more accepted and this sort of movement of gay people actually being allowed to get married. So, that sounds crazy, saying that what? now. <laughs> I
0: mean, have that, gay look, marriage even been legalised when this episode came out? I'm not sure if it had.
2: I'm not sure if it had, but that's clearly what the point... That's the the metaphor oh, yeah. and the symbolism that Russell is trying to, wear, trying to get with. Yeah, um, very clearly. I feel this very, episode is great clearly, for when yeah. people go... Doctor Who's always been political, that's why it doesn't get its viewing figures. So yeah, well, this is the most viewed episode of Doctor Who ever in new Who history, and just send them a list of how political this episode is. Um, but that's not why it's great. It's not great because of its politicalness. That's not what makes Doctor Who great. What makes this episode great for me is there's really great characters, a great dynamic between the ensemble cast, something that I normally dislike, and I not uh, in the past I spoke about how much I hate ensemble cast episodes and episodes where they're trapped on a spaceship but that's what this episode is and it's fantastic uh, because it is just action 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 from the very start with some really interesting uh um some really interesting plots some really interesting characters i think it's one of the best episodes that we've watched so far
0: i think part of it is that um the this is the longest standalone episode yeah. we've had, isn't it? It is, is, is it's it one is hour like and an hour minutes?
2: and 10 minutes
0: which is actually just 10 minutes short of two 40 minute episodes. So, mm. in a way, it's kind of maybe this is kind of the perfect balance for these larger scale, longer form episodes. I know with a story like Impossible Planet, Same Pit, you felt there were parts that really dragged. And maybe it's because two standalone episodes was maybe just a bit too much time. Yeah. Whereas here, just having it that bit shorter means that you have enough time to show all these characters, and yet you also need to keep up that pace and it doesn't slow down too much.
2: Yeah. That's probably true, that. It's interesting to know that this Christmas special was longer than the actual 50th anniversary episode.
0: Wait, was the 50th? Not 70 minutes?
2: No, it wasn't even an hour, I don't think. I think it was just under... It was between 45 sure. minutes and an hour. So let me have a quick look.
0: I'm sure the 50th is, like, feature length. Is it not? No,
2: it's not. I I promise. David the Doctor running time is, uh, oh, maybe you are right. 77 minutes long. How long is that in an hour? It's not an hour and 20 minutes. I refuse to believe David the Doctor is an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah.
0: No, That sounds right. Yeah, it's just short of 90 minutes, yeah.
2: I'm going to look it up on Netflix, see what their listing of it is. Um, But whilst I'm doing that, what did you think to the line where the Doctor says he travels alone, or he tries to travel alone, where ever since we've met this incarnation of Doctor, he's never done anything but anything other than not travel alone. He's always with somebody else.
0: I guess there's a lot of ways you can look at that. Um, You could view it from the standpoint that the Doctor, for most of his life, um, when we don't see him, um, on screen he is traveling alone maybe you know there's a really long period between Runaway Bride and Smith and Jones where he's traveling alone uh, maybe that can be said for every in-between companion season gap maybe the doctor spends most of their time traveling alone or maybe you could just say that he says that because it just makes things easier as an introduction then oh yeah I usually travel with people but then they either die or get lost in all sorts of dimension or get fed up of me and leave
2: yeah, that's true. Um there's one 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 key point I wanna save till last. But uh let me have a flick through my nose. An hour and ten minutes. Um what do you think to the characters of the host? They're very weeping angel esque with their sort of Halo statue sort of angel esque appearance. So I feel like maybe they were bouncing off that a little bit.
0: They're me more so of the uh clockwork guys from Girl on the Fireplace. Oh, that's very
2: true, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, yeah. How can they remind yeah. you of them?
0: Um, just because, like, they had the whole robotic, like, very kind of refined, kind of almost formal robotic appearance, like a, a nicely designed robot person, and then, you know, they go about killing folks.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, I hadn't thought about that. Um, one key moment from this episode as well is we get that famous 10th Doctor speech and um, that is like the the key moment of the 10th doctor's um tenure that speech where he says i'm a doctor i'm such and such and i'm from the planet gallifrey in constellation of whatever and you know it goes on on this 7th. big tie. yeah it goes on this big tyrone about who he is and how he's going to save the day um that's really good fun but then it, i feel that's also a frustration because somebody has just died and then people are going to subsequently die, and he take, does his best. Um, so that there's Marvin... Uh, I don't think it is Marvin, but I will say Marvin. Marvin and Fu, when they're fixing that host, and it instantly comes alive, and instantly tries and kills Marvin. It just sees him and goes, kill, kill, kill. I think mean, that was quite funny, actually. Um, and then, obviously, he trips and falls to his death. And then there's a really yeah. good... There's a really good bit where the Doctor's comforting Phu and saying, I will come back for you, I will save you. But then she takes her own life to save the rest of them. And I think he like says, no more or something like that. And it, it well, doesn't like, um,
0: that... Karamasalata also dies in that scene, doesn't
2: he? Barakafalata, yes, he does, yeah. Because yeah, he, does, he? Yeah, sorry, he sacrifices sorry. his little uh, pod thing, doesn't he, that Astrid uses later on in the episode.
0: Yeah, like three people die on that one scene.
2: Yeah. Um I, I think we said this before, but we are getting more and more now with each episode darker Tenth Doctor stuff that is leading up to uh his closing point of you know, with the end of time and all that. At the end of time, is that what those two episodes are called? What are they, what's the last Yeah. Yeah, the end of time, yeah. No, those are uh, end of time, yeah. Uh, I'm just skimming through my notes here. We've already spoken about Astrid possibly joining the TARDIS, take me with you. Oh, there's that really good scene where he's standing off against um, different hosts and he stood there and he's asking all these different questions and he's holding a frying pan. I think that's yeah. really well done. And he says that line, take me to your leader. I think um, it's a very funny 10th Doctor episode as well. How did you feel about that? Yeah, that's,
0: that's a great scene. I think that's, that was one going to start to me when he was kind of we had the three questions, and um, where he was just trying. to, It was just kind of funny, like the rapid fineness, and also kind of it was a great kind of showcase of kind of the uh, the doctor's intelligence, but not in like a super indulgent way. It wasn't super indulgent. But, oh look how clever he is! Just kind of him on his feet, having to be quick witted to figure out his way out of the situation.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. No, I think there's a lot of that this episode, isn't there, where I feel like this is one of the only episodes where, or one of the first anyway, where the Doctor, you can see, doesn't really have a plan, but everybody's relying on him, and very quickly, even like Richmond and people like that, they they, they turn to the Doctor, even if they don't particularly like him, to sort of get them out of this issue that they've found themselves in.
0: Mm, absolutely.
2: Um, let's talk about Max Capricorn, the actual villain of the episode. Um, an amazing prop, an amazing prosthetic all around, really. Um, a really good voice as well, I felt as well. He's got a very menacing uh, persona. Um, what did you he's think of his name? A great name he's as well. Very
0: cool. He's a very, yeah, he's got a very cool, like borderline cartoony villain, but kind of it's <laughs> pulled off in a way that kind of is just very entertaining and works within the context of the episode. Yeah, and also, ooh, what's that kind of continuing what you were saying about Doctor Who being political? His motivations are corporate greed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true.
2: Yeah, I, that one. That one. Uh, I hadn't caught that one. Um, I really like the line where the Temp Doctor says, "You can't even sink the Titanic." <laughs> mm. Like he's like you're such. A, he's like you're the worst. He's. He's, like, really patronising towards him. He's like, you're trying to be this big, evil guy, but you can't even sink the Titanic. The, that's what it's famous for. And I think he says that at the start of the episode, doesn't he, when he's talking to a host. And he said, oh, why did you pick? It's why like, it, did, why did, is it called the Titanic? And they say, oh, it's a very famous ship. And he's like, well, did they tell you why it's famous?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a very funny interaction. Um, almost as soon
2: as we are introduced to Max Capricorn, he dies. Um, when Kylie Minogue drives him off the end of like into the heart of the ship really into the fire that keeps the ship going Um, that is a really sort of surprisingly moving scene I felt because the Tenth Doctor lost Rose and he had Martha who wanted to be more than just friends but he didn't So not only has he lost his girlfriend he then lost a friend and now he's got a friend and now she's going to die um it was one. When I'm watching it, I'm going, oh, "This guy's really unlucky <laughs> with, with, with the he picks." But the way that sort of played out, we've only known Astrid for a short period of time, but like it all slows down to some great music, and you can see David Tennant do some fantastic acting as always, and the way she sort of sacrifices herself, and there's nothing he can do but watch. These really, it's held back, mm. and the brake lines are cut, so it's almost like even if he could get over there, something's going over the edge.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: What did you think to the death sequence?
0: I feel bad about that scene because when I watch it, I can only think of two things. Because She comes at him with a, is it a forklift? Yeah. The only thing I could think of, and this is just a purely hindsight thing, it's obviously something they couldn't anticipate, but I can only think of the finale to a matter of life and death. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well that's that episode ruin for everybody who's listened to this everybody watches this every time they now watch that episode of Doctor Who we'll just be able to see uh, poor old Paella flying through the sky
0: I'm sorry that was the only thing that could come to mind <laughs> it's, it's a purely hindsight thing they, they didn't know that the next year Nick Parker was going to come out with a really funny Wallace and Gromit short
2: that's true that's very really true um, that's a real, that's a turning point for 10 as well, I feel, is that thing where he's taken by the hosts and crashes through the ceiling, that sort of, go on.
0: That's an interesting point you just brought up, because I've heard lots of people kind of say that, um, Russell, at various points with the 10th Doctor, does kind of, um, do this thing where he portrays him as an almost Christ-like figure. And yeah. they use kind of that scene where his two angels are lifting him up as almost kind of a prime example of that. Do you think the Tenth Doctor is a Christ figure? No,
2: no, quite. Like, a, he's a god. I think he's seeing himself as the god of time, Rose, now He's the only one, and he's gone through so much. And I, I personally think that scene works well because it is followed later in the episode by um, Mr Copperfield telling the Doctor that he almost has the power to determine who lives and who dies and that would make somebody a monster which is what spoilers later becomes in waters of mars um so i feel that maybe people aren't really catching the importance of this episode yeah. almost and the importance of this final where it is that changing point of he is no longer just the doctor he he almost a controller of time and, you know, that, that obeys to me thing that we get okay. in the waters of Mars that I'm very much looking forward to getting to. And this is really so you, the the starting point of that.
0: Okay, so you view that whole thing as less of the Doctor being some kind of Christ-like saviour and more like the Doctor viewing himself as a god-like figure who has the power to do these things. That's interesting. Yeah,
2: it's more eag- I think it's more ego on the of Doctor's part rather than russell writing it because he absolutely loves the doctor or whatever i think it's a character development rather than russell's going i i i would be inclined to say it would be similar to when matt smith oh and sorry when steven moffat goes but he's the doctor he can do anything it's almost saying it's almost like that sort of thing but this plays into the development of 10
0: that's interesting i've never heard that perspective before i like that what do you what did you think no i love that and i love like you said uh one of the things that really stuck out to me was at the very end, that kind of allusion to the Time of Victorious stuff about how, well, if you had the power to decide who lives and who dies and what happens to people, that makes you some kind of monster. Yeah. And, um, yeah.
2: It's very similar as well when... Uh, and, then, and then
0: this, yeah.
2: Sorry, when he realises he can't bring back Astrid and he, he just he's so determined to bring him back and there's that frustration where he kicks the podium and it's almost like he just wanted a friend so bad. And it's like, even though he can control time to an element, it just seems like everybody he wants to survive or everybody he wants to spend time with, he can't. But he can save everybody else. He can save Richmond, but he can save Richmond, this horrible business tycoon and luckily save Mr. Copperfield. But, you know, Marvin and Foo, they go. Balakafalata goes. Astrid goes. All the good people you really want to save, you know, meet their ends.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of that desperate you see it in quite a few 10th object episodes actually kind of at the end of the whole story there's this one last minute rush to try and at least save one person like at the end of um uh, evolution of the daleks there was that last rush to save um laszlo yeah and then there's a similar thing here and then you get laszlo. it against uh Saint- yeah laszlo um <laughs> i can't do it as well as she can um <laughs> and then you see it later in like um, Science and Library getting that kind of last minute mad dash to save at least save this one guy yeah and it kind of feeds into that whole thing that you're saying about kind of
2: A Love of Monsters where he tells Elton to fetch a spade
0: oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> I didn't realise how much of a recurring motif that was for the Tenth Doctor yeah. until just now
2: Um. I really like it when everybody's thanking him, when everyone's thanking him, and he's just so pissed. You can see in his eyes how annoyed he is that everybody, everybody's so thankful that they lived, but they're not able to sort of see that people died so they could live almost, and that he wasn't able to save everybody. I think that's really great. But then he sort of redeems himself within himself by... Taking Mr. Copperfield, Copperfield I hope it is Copperfield, back to Earth, and that really lovely sequence at the end where he realizes he's actually a millionaire um, is great. And Clive Swift, unfortunately, no longer with us. Obviously, keeping up appearances, and he's such an amazing British actor. He gets that fantastic bit at the end where he just screams with joy, and it's just a fantastic comedic performance. And. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. And the way yeah. David Tennant's Doctor is very sort of... Oh, that's he, he almost looks like he's like, what a sweet man. He really deserved that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they kind of ended it on that very uplifting Christmassy note.
2: Exactly. Um, I'm all through with my notes apart from one thing that I think you've worked out. I've deliberately left till last. Uh, before we get to... Yes. Uh, that. Anything else that I haven't touched on that you would like to touch upon?
0: I mean, I feel like this is what you're going to mention, generally just talking about the stuff. we have been talking all about all the stuff that happens on the Titanic, but we haven't talked about much about the stuff that's happening on Earth during this episode.
2: Well, let's talk about... I was so <laughs> excited when he appeared on the screen. Um, genuinely, one of my favourite characters in Doctor Who. Um and I'd forgotten when we watched when I started watching it that like he appeared until they landed on Earth. I suddenly got very excited. But Bernard Crivens as Wilf is my all-time favorite Doctor Who character. I love that character so much. I love Bernard Crivens. I think Wilf is such a fantastic character, and I can't wait for when we when he meets the Doctor again in the Sontaran episode. That's going to be so much fun. <laughs> um, but um, he's great. He's so good in this episode, isn't he? Yeah,
0: he's so know. Yeah instantly kind of endearing um yeah. the fact they're kind of like what's going on in london that because of the previous christmas specials everyone is too scared to be in london on christmas yeah he's sticking there because he believes in the queen and that she's sticking and that very endearing sort of patriotism yeah and then like his reaction to like when they get beaten back up and just like oh shit yeah <laughs>
2: I really like the bit at the end as well where he sees on the tele that um, the Titanic is heading straight for Buckingham Palace. <laughs> and he jumps out his little booth and he's waving his fist in the air saying, don't you dare, you aliens, don't you dare. <laughs> and I also yeah. love the fact that this was only meant to be a, a one-time appearance from Bernie Cribbins. We speak, we'll speak about that more when we get into Series 4. But uh, yeah, it's fantastic. He's such a great character. And I'm so excited that we're now... Uh, in a series where I, I know that I'm really going to enjoy a lot of the character performances. There's some big names coming up. Tim McKinney, uh, the guy from Merlin. <laughs> some really good names. Morgan. That's him. Some good names coming up um, in this series. Um, but let me read a couple of um, Instagram things I put out. If you go to our Instagram, at Pod, I often ask for your guys' thoughts on the episode. I always read a couple hours, read the one out, say, so because I know episodes are a bit long. But Samuel Norris says, brilliant episode, very underrated. And I do agree because I was not expecting much from watching this, but very much enjoyed it. Mm. Would you agree with him there, Harry?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very fun episode. Yeah. I just, and honestly, it's one of the Christmas ones that I probably forget about. And I'm not sure why, because it does stand up.
2: Yeah. It's a nice break as well from the two previous ones, which are very similar, so then have with something Absolutely. very different.
0: Yeah, um, that's very true.
2: But instead of doing something completely different, let's do something that we do
0: every week and start with the quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Oh, boy. Oh Yikes, here we go.
2: As you mentioned, Harry, this is an extra long episode of Doctor Who, so I have an extra quiz question. You have four questions this week, instead of well, you stand at uh, three. Question number one. What uh, What is Earth known as? They give it a name and a number. Can you remember what it's referred to as?
0: No, I cannot. I'm going to say... The answer
2: is Soul Free. Ah, when one of about... the hosts goes a bit strange. It goes on the blink and it's taken into the back room and the guy says, if you can't fix them, throw him overboard. How many does he say have already gone on the blink that week? Gives a number. Is it eight? It is eight. Well done. Yes. That's one so far. How old does the Doctor say he is in his famous speech?
0: Um, 900 years old.
2: 903 years old. Ah, no point there, I'm afraid. How many times does Fu say that she entered the competition to win tickets to go on board the Titanic in first class?
0: Was it a thousand times?
2: It was. It was what? Sorry,
0: one thousand times.
2: Five thousand times, I'm afraid, ah. Harry. Ah, one out of four. So somehow you've actually done worse That's... than normal. <laughs> You've scored more points, but actually done worse. I'm <laughs> not good at these. Sam. Deary, deary me, deary me. Um, recommendations, Harry. It's that time in the show where we like to recommend things to our listeners outside of Doctor Who. Because believe it or not, we do like other things.
1: Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic.
2: Um, would you care for me to go first, or would you like to go first yourself?
0: You go first, by all means, sir.
2: <laughs> well, lucky, lucky for me, uh, this week, um well, last week, actually, I finished my second semester at university. Uh, my second semester, my second year at university. So I've just kind of been living on campus, chilling out, doing some podcast stuff. But the university kindly threw a fun event with a limited capacity. It was mainly an online event, but if you were lucky enough, you could turn up in person. And I was one of the lucky ones to sit in a giant hall and watch a live demonstration of the internet um marionette series Nebula 75 which is very much in the same vein as Thunderbirds Joe 90, Stingray uh, Captain Scarlet by Jerry Anderson Um, and these guys sort of came on, they brought all the puppets with them and did live sort of set building and sort of told you how they produced these amazing um, basically TV episodes during lockdown Um, you might be able to catch them on YouTube, I know they are definitely on Amazon Prime um, you might have to pay for them unfortunately but there's lots of clips on YouTube you can watch as well but what what I found also very exciting is that um, during the 1960s the full cast of Thunderbirds recorded audio plays in the same vein of Doctor Who but for Thunderbirds and um, they were managed to salvage these and actually turn them into three brand new Thunderbirds episodes um, and they brought along um, actual puppets used in the restoration used in these new episodes so I got to have my photo taken with Parker Brains and the Thunderbird one, which was all very exciting. Um, but what I'd like to recommend is if they, if you get a chance to go and see these guys, I don't know if they're coming doing a tour of universities or whatever in the new year, uh, the, the new academic year, but if you do go get a chance to go and see them, do go and see them. They're really great guys and um, doing a really good, interesting show with a Q&A as well. But also to check out the series, Nebula 75. Um, really good fun. Homemade, lovely, very just entertaining to watch for a lot of people so that's what i'd like to recommend and how about you harry uh
0: i would like to recommend um something which i think is um it is it's it's not it's not like a piece of media it's just something i think people should keep doing and that i've been doing for a while um which is um i'm sorry to take it to the real world um but you know, doctor, who's political? Why can't I be? I mean, this isn't a political thing. This is a health thing. But I want to recommend people.
2: Push shoulders and to, your uh...
0: hmm? No, Push I recommend people. I recommend people getting COVID tests. Ah, uh, yeah,
2: yes, yeah, suppose.
0: Yeah, like obviously, obviously, the... no, this is a thing because, like, I th- seriously, like the world is like opening up again. Um, things are open get up again and vaccines are coming available and it's all great and it's all really great but despite that um i feel like we can't start to feel too safe um i feel like it's still important that we regularly test and just to make sure that we are you know still safe that we're still healthy like i 100%. get a test I, 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 on my uni campus i am lucky enough to be able to test twice a week which i am doing um i recommend everyone does the same even when you have the vaccine it doesn't mean you're 100% immune, so it's still good to keep that testing up for the safety of yourself and the safety of everyone else. Just a small thing to do twice a day, well twice a week.
2: Twice a week, yeah.
0: Like takes up, <laughs> yeah. It's a small thing, but it's a also a big thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I just, yeah, you know, I know that kind of. I've heard things that kind of like on my campus currently. I know there's been a drop since the vaccine rollout has started going to younger ages of um people getting tested. And so it's just something I've kind of felt compelled to uh promote. Yeah, definitely. But-
2: if you're in a position to get the free test, do it. Um people like myself who are at uni and also work in hospital uh, not hospita- the hospital, uh, the sort of entertainment I don't want to say entertainment industry. I work in nightclubs. I'm a freelance photographer, everybody, hello. Um work in nightclubs and pubs and stuff like that. So when they're open, that's great fun, because it means I can go to work. Um, so obviously, the two cover tests here at the University of Hull, where I am, you know, a great help. So, um, yeah, especially if if, if you can get it through work or wherever you work, or through university, school, preschool. <laughs> if you listen to this, and so you're at preschool, oh, terrible parents, but um, but yeah, you know, take care, look after yourself, man. Anything else, Harry? Anything else you need to say? Any any more no. political agendas you want to slam down people's
0: throats? Uh, no, no, I'm not a very political person.
2: <laughs> well, thank you all very much for listening. We will be back in the in in, in the near future with uh um the the actual start of Doctor Who Series four, Partners in Crime, um which I'm very excited to get through this series. We do have some fun um sort of different distributional things and how the series is going to be laid out and how you guys will be able to listen to it as well, coming up uh, with some extra content as well. So uh do stay tuned for that. We'll mention that at some point during the first half of Series 4. So I will say goodbye, goodbye, everybody. Do uh, like, comment, subscribe, five-star review and all that. And uh Harry, do you want to say anything at all? Bye-bye. Well, did his from Make sure you
1: subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.